Hi there. Welcome to the Creating Australia podcast. My name is Jessica Reynolds, and I'm a private town planner and business owner based in Brisbane, Queensland. I'm passionate about engaging with the amazing people that make the property and development industry what it is today. In Creating Australia, I want to learn from experts in the industry and share their knowledge and wisdom with you. In each episode, we'll talk with different people and unpack their past experiences and innovative ideas for the future. Join me now for an episode of Creating Australia, where we dive into the industry exploring local stories, projects, businesses, people, ideas, and more. Hi, Nikki. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you please introduce yourself? Who are you? What do you do? Hi, Jessica. Nice to see you this morning. So my name's Nikki Quitner and I'm an architect and I've been practicing for about well, over 10 years. I founded my company about a year and a half ago, which is called Test Before You Invest. Um, and yeah, I'm based in Sydney. Um, the business is New South Wales wide, but you know we're looking to expand. So it's really great to speak with you um, on the other side of Australia, same side, but just a little bit up north. A bit, a bit warmer, the warmer part. A little bit warmer, although today, like the last few days, it's just been unbelievable. It's like um, just for a second we feel like maybe winter's over, but then they'll probably have one more cool night to remind us it's not over yet. Yeah, Australia is a bit like that, likes to surprise you. Um, so <laughs> Test Before You Invest is such a catchy name and I absolutely love it. Where did you come up with that and what do you actually do? Yeah, so that's, it's funny you say that because definitely when I was coming up with the name, um, I had a few different options, size before you settle. Um, I can't remember all the other different ones that I tested, but um, the reason I landed with Test Before You Invest, other than the fact that it is quite catchy, is essentially it is what we do. So as an architect, I realised that there was a gap in the market and I always thought differently about architecture and how everyday people could access it. It's something that um, is a really valuable asset, but upfront when you're looking to purchase property or you're looking to renovate and you just want to know big picture what's possible before diving into that full architecture process, there was no real streamlined avenue available for people to access that kind of information and mm -hmm. to access architects' expertise up front. So essentially um, it, the name came from um, what people are doing when they use my service, which is to test out the waters with a property they might be interested in, to understand what's possible from a development potential point of view. You know, can we add that extra story? Can we extend out the back? How much would it cost to do internal cosmetic upgrades? Um, so essentially the big things that people want to know are what can I do with the place to improve it? How much will it cost? And how do I get it approved? The, and that's basically what the business revolves around. Okay. So you've taken something that has it. I, I agree. Um, I don't think architecture is always as accessible as it should be. Um, I think there's a stat out there saying only 1% of homes in Australia are actually designed by architects, which just blows really? my mind. Yeah. That's it's amazing. Like crazy. But it makes sense when you start looking at, at the details. Obviously, um, when you're in inner city and things like that, there is a lot more architectural focus but that's not mm. all of Australia. <laughs> and I think what like that tells me is that something that we all have to do in our professions is to remember to stop, look around us, see what people really need and what people are really mm. looking for and respond our service directly to that. So, you know, as an architect, I think I was always someone who was questioning what we do and how we do it. Um, mm. And I think 
given the changes that are happening around the world every day, um, we all want to be in professions that are um, active, not reactive, um, mm -hmm. because if we're only reacting to the changes and we're trying to chase the tail of the way that the economy and culture and everything is changing, then we're going to find ourselves outside of a job. So if you're closing your eyes and blocking your ears and you're going, this is how I want an architect to be, or this is how I want a town planner to be, or this is how I want a lawyer to be, um, and I enjoy it the way it is right now, and you're not looking around, you might wake up and go, okay, well, I'm out of a job. <laughs> I absolutely love that. You articulated that so well. Amazing. <laughs> so why architecture in the first place? Obviously, you're passionate about it. How did, did, was this like a lifelong dream? Did you just know straight out of school you're going to do architecture? Um, was there one building that you saw and went, wow, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life? I think, um, so I like a bit about me, I guess I've been drawing ever since um, someone first put a pen in my hand. Um, particularly, I've always loved drawing cartoons and caricatures. It's just something I've, I've always done. My grandma's a really talented artist, like traditional artist, oil paint. So I was always surrounded by that artistic side. But then my grandfather was actually an engineer and he worked on um, some pretty amazing projects actually um, around Sydney. Like he put the, um, he built the machine that put all the glass on the opera house. Um, oh. And the machine that did all the maintenance um, rails along the arch of the opera house, the machine that checked the rods or intention on the center point tower in Sydney CBD. So it was a pretty amazing guy. So I kind of had these two counterpoints um, on either side, the engineering, you know, inventor, um, physics related sort of side. And then I had the artistic side. And I kind of find myself somewhere in the middle of the two. So I think I always knew I wanted to do something creative, but I knew how difficult it was unless you were one of the one in a million artists who's just hyper-talented, um, to, to create something with a professional element to that creativity. Yeah. And I felt that architecture was one of the best suited um, positions for that. So it wasn't that I was really exposed to architecture growing up as a kid. Mm -hmm. I didn't have parents who were architects, dad's a doctor and, and mum's an accountant. Um, but I think having my, I think my grandparents were definitely the biggest um, influence to me as to what I'm doing. And then I guess I just, I applied to, I think, I had Sydney Uni and then UNSW and UTS architecture, architecture, architecture was my first preference to every university in Sydney, ended up getting into Sydney Uni. Um, and the rest is history. Yeah, I did five uh, five years with an exchange to Sweden in between and, um, oh, yeah. and then started casually. Yeah, yeah, that was, um, that was a lot of fun and hugely inspirational as well to go to Scandinavia. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a few like architectural meccas, I suppose, and, and Scandinavia is, is definitely one of them. Do you find that's influenced you at all in your work today? I think so. It might have actually just enhanced, I guess, the way that my approach is to architecture. So mm -hmm. I think I was just lucky that the place I went on exchange really aligned with the way that I think about architecture. So there's different kinds of thinkers in creative problem solving. So um, some of them are more practically based uh, or mathematically based. Some of them might be more creatively based. My The way that I'll develop a concept in architecture um, I'll, I'll labour over it in my head for a long time, but then when I output it, it's actually quite quick and quite succinct, whereas there mm -hmm. are other architects who have so many different ideas and they don't know which one to focus on. I actually kind of think about it and then I, you know, I'll, I'll execute one thing and I'll back it um, and I'll test it. But, um, yeah, I find that I kind of really drive on something that I've, I've thought about first and then execute. So, yeah, yeah that's my process. But, yeah, that's I mean, Sweden, like... Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, and, and Sweden is just an amazing place to, I guess, um, 
yeah, develop the skills and they've got such amazing architecture to be surrounded by. And I guess they've got a real sustainable focus and it's not something they advertise. It's just the way that everything just works. You know, they've got a recycle bin for everything. You put your batteries in one, your light bulbs in another. You can cycle everywhere. There's nice open wide bike lanes. Um, you know, it's so safe that they, they don't even wear helmets there. You know, it's, it's just everything just works differently. Even, you know, it goes as far as, as, as a woman there, you feel incredibly equal to your male counterpart. It's sort of, they're well ahead of their time in terms of um, male and female roles, I think as well. Yeah. I guess that leads into how long have you had, um, well, when was Tess before you invest founded and how have you um, experiencing a sole female founder? I'm assuming you're a sole female founder. You don't have any partners in this business. What has that experience been like? You said your mum was an accountant, so I'm assuming that helped. Well, I think actually, so my my dad's run his own medical practice. Um, okay. So I guess um, I grew up, he, he's a GP and mum actually manages the practice. Um, so she kind of manages my dad, I suppose. Um, but um, I think being um, surrounded by parents who kind of ran their own business. And, and I guess I wasn't brought up in a very, with corp, parents in a corporate environment. It probably helped me get the confidence to understand what it's all about. That being said, I remember, you know, a few years ago when I was talking about starting up the business, my, my folks were like, oh, okay, are you sure? You know, there's obviously a lot of security in um, working for a company and not working for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, everything that I, I bring in work-wise is coming from, you know, the, the effort that I have to put in to, to put myself out there in the world. But, um, oh, the reward is just so great. And I guess um, it was nerve-wracking, but I wouldn't say it was any more nerve-wracking for me as a woman as it would be for a man. I think in some ways as a woman, it's been incredibly liberating for me to do this. Um, part of the reason I wanted to do this was to have that level of flexibility um, mm-hmm. for whatever might come next in my life. Um, and it was actually in some respects pushed by working in a corporate environment where that level of flexibility in the future wouldn't necessarily be supported. So um, I had to create that for myself. Um, and mm-hmm. as daunting as it was, um, I knew I had this idea which had been brewing for a long time. Even, I mean, I've been out of uni uh, I graduated 2012 and I've been working for about 10 years as um, in architecture. Um, yeah, so I, I even at university questioned, you know, why architects aren't um, talking to real estate agents more? Why are we not, you know, upfront in the conversation? Why are we sort of coming mm-hmm. in so much later in the piece? So I think it's been brewing ever since I started in 2007 at uni. Um, but I knew I had this great idea and, um, I knew I was at that pinnacle point in my career. I'd had a great backing of education. Um, I I could only do what I've done by having the experience that I've had at the previous works. And and even if, you know, it didn't work out, um, I, am a big believer that, um, challenges are the catalyst for change. Um, and, um, they can create opportunities. You know, if I wasn't happy, say at my last workplace, well, it, it kind of pushed me to do what I might not have had the guts to do otherwise. So I see challenges as a good thing. And if someone's unhappy in their workplace, um, if they're not feeling satisfied with their work, um, see it as an opportunity to refine exactly what you want out of your career. 100%. And that may not be business ownership for everybody. It sounds totally, like you were in totally. the right space and mindset for it. You had an idea you wanted to explore. Um, you already understood what business was about from your parents. You weren't just jumping into it blindly. Um, although yes. we all kind of jump into it blindly. No one really knows. <laughs> There's an element of risk and you don't know if COVID's going to hit tomorrow, but, but yeah, you're, you're right. Like it, I think 
but the important thing as well is it's not just encouraging people to yeah necessarily start up their own business but acknowledging that every previous experience um, has a place. So I couldn't do this without having the last 10 years working at three different um, and very important practices that have helped me basically create this service because all the experience I had there, you know, for example, sitting in a presentation, hearing a client saying something like, but I just want to know the big picture. I just, I just want to know, you know, that holistic idea behind it before the architect launches into the full design idea. And, and, Words like that triggered for me, okay, there's something missing here where these clients don't want to have to spend thirty to $200,000 before they know what's possible. Um, mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be great if there was a way for a few hundred dollars um, for a client to walk away going, oh, cool, if I, if I buy that house, there's um, a possibility that I could get an extra X, Y, Z. You know, I could get an extra two bed, two bath, and I'll, it'll spend cost me 150 to 250 grand to do the extension depending on mm-hmm. um, you know, the quality of finishes. How great would it be if someone could get that information without the full design just, just to shake out those ideas, um, obviously subject to council, um, meeting council's objectives. So yes. I guess that's an important part which ties in with what you guys do is that, you know, the advice that we provide is about aligning with council's objectives. It's about um, what you could achieve with a conservative approach. If you've got a client mm-hmm. who's saying, I want to push the FSR, I want to increase the height, I want to build a 20-storey tower in a, in a zone that's, that's deemed just residential, single residential, mm-hmm. well, that's a whole other detailed architectural strategy. But if you're just an everyday buyer who's going, you know, I want to just lodge this with council, I want it to be a smooth approval, what can I get out of this? Mm-hmm. That's kind of where we sit. So we're constantly talking with councils and building relationships with councils so that they also recognise what we do and go, okay, these guys are actually aligning with our principles, yeah. our objective. Yeah. Beautiful. That's so, yeah, it sounds really good. So definitely you're basically looking at someone comes to you, they've got a, a house, might be a bit of a shack, um, they come to you and you just look at big, big picture concepts. You kind of have understanding of what council's looking for. You understand architectural concepts. You draw a plan and go, well, this is what we think, you know, you're sort of maxing out at. And then, you know, if you want to go to the next step, that's when we start getting into the details and compliance and getting the approvals. And obviously we all know with development, there's no guarantees in life. <laughs> and it's just a case of but understanding for a affordable price and making it more accessible to yeah. understand what that, that possibility is. Um, Cause yes, I agree. Like not everybody has 30 K to spend on a maybe. Um, no, that's, that's so cool. Um, so I'd really like to know what is one of the bigger trends in architecture you're seeing at the moment, whether it be design, Ooh, things like that. You're obviously in a different state to us. So you're based yes. in Sydney. Um, we're up in Queensland. So we probably might see different architectural you know, trends? Yeah, I think like to, to sort of bounce off that, I'm not sure if it's answering the question, but I think um, the level of requirements for New South Wales and for Queensland are quite different. I've done a bit of work mm-hmm. um, in Queensland as well. From my previous office, we did a few um, residential commercial projects over there. But um, what I found really interesting was just that the process seemed to be a little bit easier, if I can say that, in Queensland. Um, mm-hmm. It felt like the... Um, you know, the formality of it was slightly different. The amount of information we need to provide here is different. So I remember it was quite comical. The directors um, in the Queensland office would be saying, why are you guys producing all this information? Why are you spending Mm -hmm. so long? Why is it taking so long for the DA to be approved? You know, you guys are spending too much time on it. And we sort of sit there and go, this is just 
what's required over here. So mm-hmm. um, I don't necessarily think that it, it determines that the quality output is is any different here because we're providing more information. Um, it, it's just, I guess, in response to um, various factors, um, including, I guess, uh, there's a risk element to it as well. Mm-hmm. So um, council want to have as much information to uh, reduce yeah. the risk of anything happening. And people people say that the amount of information we provide for a DA, you know, in New South Wales back in the day, that would be the construction documentation. There's so much in there mm-hmm. to work with. So, um, But in terms of the trends, I mean, the obvious one is definitely that uh, people are much more conscious um, of the sustainability aspect. I've, I mean, I like the idea that it, it'd be genuinely for um, better performance uh, for the community rather than ticking a box. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you see different kinds of architecture um, trying to provide that kind of gesture. Um, I think there, there is a bit of a trend of if in doubt planted out, which I I, I don't (laughs) always agree with. Um, I don't know if that's the same in Queensland. It used to be if in doubt, louver it out. Um, (laughs) People would just put massive louvers on everything to just try and break up a facade. But now it's sort of, to try and screen unresolved elements, they'll just kind of put a bit of soft planting in their visualisation and and hope for the best. So I guess I'm definitely about authentic architecture and I think if if the building didn't have the planting there, would it still look Mm -hmm. beautiful, would it still be successful or is it relying on that plant surviving and relying on that resident maintaining that planting or relying off the strata um, to pay for the maintenance of that um, as an ongoing thing? So... I did a project um, recently down in Bondi Beach, which was a house where they had this um, renovation of a very banal 1990s, early 2000s house. It didn't really have a style to it. It was modern and the bones were good, but it was just a bit of a nothing house. And they had a, uh, the designer, they just didn't know how to modernise the facade when they were building this little extension at the back as well. Mm-hmm. And so they just stuck this massive, we called it a cumber belt. It was like this huge planter along probably what was like 60 linear metres of edge of this building. It was one metre deep. And so we're not just talking about, um, and it was a very if in doubt planted out, but we're we're not just talking about the Main, make sure ma- making sure that the plants will survive. We're talking about the structure that needs to support this thing and tie back into the existing building and the cost of that structure. We're talking about the new drainage um, that's going to have to be there and then the ongoing maintenance. It was just going to be a nightmare. And then if the plants didn't survive because those residents, you know, didn't have the right green thumb, well, it would have looked pretty shocking. So what I the, the exercise for that job as part of Test Before We Invest, and this was a very bespoke project, I suppose, um, was that they gave me the architectural drawings that had all been approved. And just before they were about to press go to build this thing, they'd had the CC construction certificate and everything. They thought, you know what, let's just double check this is the right approach. And so what I did was I built their design in 3D because their architect had only done 2D drawings. They didn't have the 3D mm-hmm. software. I built it in 3D for them to see what it was like and just gave them a couple of other design alternatives um, just to show that there might be another way of tackling this um, extensive facade and seeing how we could deal with it and modernize it and they gave me their brief that they wanted something a bit more beachy and modern um Mm -hmm. and so we came up with this fantastic option that completely eliminates the maintenance the cost the structure it's all completely gone and it looks much more artistically sophisticated because you know there are trends that you'll see in the mcmaster type homes um which have stemmed from an architectural origin but they get too overplayed or they're used in the wrong scenarios. And I think planting has kind of become one of those things. So I've still got 
select planting in areas, but it just wasn't yeah. the right strategy for that project. And the client is so happy and they've saved a lot of money, a lot of time. And it, it, we're really excited. It looks fantastic. So, Yeah, that sounds like a really good outcome, but I'm really interested to know when they brought you that design, did you openly yeah. say, ew, or were you like, I'll just see what else I can do? <laughs> no, I, you know what? I, in those scenarios. You, I, you need to be really respectful that, and acknowledge the fact that the client spent a lot of time and a lot of money on this and each, and, and I guess the thing about architecture is it's so subjective. What could be ooh to one person could be, you know, the most beautiful thing ever to the next. So um, it's really important to be careful and respectful to each individual's aesthetic um, desires. They obviously came to me feeling that same sentiment that they wanted to change. They weren't hundred percent convinced, but I'll definitely um, put it in terms that is more of a professional and, and pragmatic and practical approach probably than, than ooh, I might say that in an art gallery where, you know, <laughs> the artist isn't right behind me, but um, yeah, I, I think. Um, don't show Nikki, see- hey, don't show her <laughs> your work. <laughs> <laughs> I think also the other thing is um, like, I'll, I'll tell them, I'll tell them my point of view, um, and if I really feel strongly about it, I'll, because it's my professional opinion, like a doctor, even if it's bad news, sometimes mm-hmm. you've, you've got to say it. But I think the difference probably between me and a conventional architect is if you look at, you know, one of the great architects, um, I used to work at Smart Design Studio, Williams Knight, such a fantastic, brilliant designer, or Angelo Candelapis, these are such amazing architects. They have a signature to them that if you're engaging them, um, you're signing up to their approach, their style, that's, that's, you're buying into that. For me, because I'm kind of before that design element generally, um, it, it's actually not about me putting my aesthetic mm-hmm. on them. It's about trying to tease out what they want out of this project. Um, it's okay. about helping people refine their brief essentially so that yeah. they have the brief, they've suddenly got a bit of a budget, they know what they can do with the space and then when they're ready to kick off with that next stage, they can actually hand over a real brief to an architect. They can say to that architect, mm-hmm. this is what I know we can get, this is what we want, this is the aesthetic outcome and um it makes it a lot easier for the architect as well because they've, they've got a client coming to them with a clear brief. There's nothing that wastes more time and money than a client who doesn't know what they want and you kind of have to go two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one mm-hmm. step back. Um, yeah. And then, as I said, those <laughs> I'm sure it happens in planning too. And, and then sometimes, as I said, those clients get a concept design for something that they're like, hang on, that's not what I wanted, that's not what I... And they've spent mm-hmm. $30,000, $40,000. So that's what I'm trying to, I guess, yeah. avoid people going through. Um, and even if there's only 1% that go to architects, as you said, at least if they've had this upfront advice by an expert and they mm-hmm. go to a building designer after that, well, at least they've got a good foundation, a good yeah. starting point. Yeah, with yeah. the right no. expertise. No, I think that's good. And I think it's definitely a different approach. You're, de- you're not going around enforcing your brand of architecture on every project you touch. Which is, you know, that's obviously um, two sort of different ways of business. Yeah, that's it. And, I mean, I've got quite a few of the larger projects on the book as well, which isn't the focus of the business, but we do take on um, mm-hmm. the the full-scale, you know, development application through to construction jobs as well. And each each job presents itself with a different scenario. So aesthetically, mm-hmm. I, I might have my own style. I mean, you can probably see behind me, I've got a bit more of a laid back beachy mm-hmm. kind of feel to, to how I would do my place. But um, I've got to respect at the end of the day, what, what a, a client wants. And, and mm-hmm. they definitely are looking for you to provide your professional opinion. Otherwise it's like going to a lawyer and going, I've drafted up this contract. Can you just put it into word for me? Obviously 
like they, they want to know professionally for something that I think they shouldn't do or that we need to flag. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of wiggle room for clients to squeeze in their own agenda and their own aesthetic. They're going to be living in it. So they deserve to, yeah. to feel happy and proud. Excellent. I love that. So Nikki, thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to contact you, what is the best way? I would say hop on our website, Test Before You Invest. So www.testbeforeyouinvest.com.au. You can just Google us as well. Um, email and contact number uh, are all on there. So feel free to check it out and hop on the contacts page. Excellent. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Jess. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you would like to see this product in action, please head over to the Urban Planners Queensland YouTube channel. Links are in the episode notes or you can find the recordings by visiting upqld.com.au. That is upqld.com.au.